0: Hi folks, and welcome to White Collar Week. It's the isolation that destroys us. The solution is in community. Today on the podcast, we have one of my closest friends, Tom Scott. You might know Tom as one of the two Toms who co-founded Nantucket Nectars, or as the co-founder and chairman of the Nantucket Project, a Thought and Ideas Festival each fall on the island of Nantucket, Massachusetts, or as chairman of the Neighborhood Project, that brings films about what matters most to discussion groups in people's homes all over the country and the world. But I know Tom differently, as my close confidant in drug and alcohol recovery in our home group in Greenwich, Connecticut. Tom and I both credit recovery with saving our lives and with being the inspiration for Tom's project about neighborhood and my project about bringing justice impacted people out of isolation and into community. This episode explores this, and the depth of our relationship that Tom and I forged to find the light from the darkest times of our lives. So coming up, the confidant, Tom Scott, on White Collar Week. I hope you will join us. Hello, and welcome to White Collar Week, a podcast sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries, the world's first ministry serving the white-collar justice community. I'm Jeff Grant, co-founder and your host. I served almost 14 months in a federal prison for a white-collar crime I committed when I was a lawyer, so I know that it's the isolation that kills us and the solution is in community. So let's get started. Hi, folks. Welcome to White Collar Week. Uh, today on the podcast, we have uh, one of my best friends, actually, and uh, one of my closest confidants, Tom Scott. Um, What's weird for me is that um, probably there's a lot of people who consider Tom to be a uh, to be a friend, um, and uh, that's um, probably more testimony to the fact that he uh, he does a lot of things for a lot of people. But uh, we have a uh, an intimate relationship on a lot of levels, um, mostly springing from the fact that we've been in recovery together um, in Greenwich um, for a long time now. And, um, we share a pretty special bond about all that. So, um,
1: this is Tom Scott. Hey Tom, how you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me here. You know, the one thing I'm going to do is unplug my refrigerator. That's right next to me, which I do when I do this, because then you won't hear the sound. So just give me one second. Okay. Did you notice the difference? Oh yeah, oh, good. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat>
0: I, I wouldn't actually keep a refrigerator in my office. I mean, I'm, I'd be chowing all day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so, I, I, there's not much, There's not that much interesting in my. <laughs> you, um, yeah, I would say uh, the same of you. Um, which is to say, you and I uh, have a relationship and you know some people would be, be uncomfortable with this word but it's a it's an intimate relationship um maybe it had to be that way i don't know maybe it didn't have to be that way mm-hmm. but um these are the gifts yeah right
0: yeah so um wh- what are you you're working on 14 years of sobriety soon is that right coming around next year
1: yeah 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 yeah, yeah i was on a meeting today and um I thought about that. I thought about, I mean, I guess I'm an old timer. When, when do you become an old timer? 10 years? I would guess double digit. Probably. Yeah.
0: Probably this des- describes it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which is, you know, it's a, uh, it's, there's comfort in it, but there's also, if you've paid attention, there's, and we heard it this morning, there's the knowledge that stuff lurks, right? Like, yeah. It's always there. The challenges always sort of lie before us. Mm-hmm. You don't have to know what they are, you don't have to dwell on them, but they I guess that would be my I was thinking about it as I was listening to this woman speak today, um who has a pretty tragic story. Like her list is long. Yeah. And there was a moment, I don't think I'm outing anybody, but when she, she sort of went through the list of all of her life challenges and then she's like, "Oh, right, I forgot about when I had brain cancer." I was <laughs> just like, "Wow, that's a long, She has a long list. Yeah, what what I was thinking
0: about is that wherever you are in um, in recovery, where um, whatever your your problems are, um, you got to accept everybody for where they are. You know, um, and interestingly, I think in uh, in recovery that um, it's easier to tell your prison story or to tell your infidelity story or to tell your brain cancer story than it is to flout that you're the CEO of a major company and you have issues relating to that because um, you can be a rock star if you went to prison in recovery, but somehow if, you're, if you haven't lost everything and you're, uh, um, it's, uh, it's harder to talk about, it does, it's viewed as n- n- not humble. And, yeah. uh, and I just think that's wrong. I think that you've got to accept everybody for where they are.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's kind of magical. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll give an analogy. I'll do my best. I'm not a Donald Trump person. Okay, I don't like the guy. Like, I, I have a distaste for the person. Yeah. Politics aside, mm-hmm. and so my preference would be to have somebody else in charge. Okay, that's my preference. And I mention it though for the following reason. The other night I was watching. Um, I watched Amadeus. If you haven't seen that movie in a while, I recommend you watch it. Um, It's a beautiful story. And he's a guy who struggles and really dies of our disease and other challenge life challenges that he runs into. There's a moment when he wants to make Figaro and it's essentially the story of a, um, a brothel. Yeah. And, and what sits within it and the emperor is like, dude, you can't make a move. You can't make a, opera about that and he's like well hold on let me just explain and he says i'm a vulgar man and within the vulgarity is this truth and love Mm -hmm. and then you watch our king our top guy he's vulgar um there's a truth in vulgarity that people identify with and and I just let's pull the word vulgarity out of it. Yeah. Again, I'll repeat, I'm not a fan of the guy. I'm not, it's not my point. Yeah. But I understand why people connect with him. I understand why it's refreshing. I don't know if you saw his tweet today when he says to people, COVID's just not that big a deal. Now there's a lot of people who want to embrace that message. And at a minimum, it goes against elite activity. It just does. Mm-hmm. In a similar way, I appreciate the baseness of what we learn in recovery. And base might be the wrong word. It's another word for truth. It's another word for vulnerability. It's another word for honesty. Now, that's not a direct analogy, but I think one of the ways to think about the appeal of Donald Trump is it's an appeal to what, other, what people might view as a, uh, a vulgar truth, mm-hmm. Again, I, I you may think he's a liar. Okay, maybe he probably is, but I it, I think to be to let the so so the notion. Just imagine to be back in the in the days of um, Mozart, and somebody does a story about love in a brothel. Well, that has an obvious appeal to me. Like they they don't want to just have the whitewashed view of life, and the you know some view into reality, and sometimes the salacious has an appeal. Well,
0: that, that was us. In some ways, that still is us, but that was us. I mean, how, how, how much permission do I have here to go into our history together? I mean, you, you tell me.
1: I mean, I, here, here's my view is that, you know, there's certain things that are personal to me that yeah. I'm, I'm assuming you would know what those things are. Yeah. There's also a sacredness to our group mm-hmm. that I want to treat as sacred. Yeah. I would also say, though, that the idea that we sit with people who ha- share a common struggle on a regular basis is okay have at it yeah um i i
0: think i think that it's fascinating that you would make that parallel in a conversation with me because we could have made this con- we could have make that parallel for sitting in your office or we're sitting in Starbucks and um so you and i were sitting actually in your car this has got to be 13 years ago in there somewhere and um you had uh bought the um the 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 property for your new house and so we were we drove around there were there was kind of demo going on and we drove around and um and uh we did your fourth and fifth step And, um, it was really about the topic that you just talked about. You know, it was about, um, and the same thing I did with my, with my sponsor uh, a few years earlier. So it was really about, um, frailty and, and, and the thing, destructive things that we did and not, um, and at that point, the limited understanding that you had, or that I had before you of, of how this all goes together and how am I going to get sober and how do I relate to this community and, um, was raw and real, you know, I mean, without any facts, uh, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't share any facts, but, um, it's like, dude, you were, you, you're not, you weren't then the person that, you are now you hadn't started even the trajectory towards your new life i mean so many things happen in between you know like uh, and, and and i just want to give some framework because you had to go into plum tv from there and you had to go through a bankruptcy in it and then you had to find the Nantucket project and you had to decide to go to divinity school i mean all of this is part of a of a, of a, of a, an awakening that you had from being crushed down, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's interesting to even hear that, you know, because it is a long list. I mean, there's a lot of plot points between it's time to get sober now. Um, which I'm sure is true for all of us, but you know, I hadn't thought about it in the, in the way you just laid it out. Um, You know, the the other day I interviewed uh, Bobby Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I saw that. Okay. And long story short, people don't, a lot of people don't want to hear from him. And I don't know if you saw the part in the, in the conversation when he, I said, why do you do this every day? And he told this beautiful story, Mm -hmm. just beautifully powerful story. And my, my, my sense of the guy is that it's some combination of he's a true believer who's on the right path. Yeah. He's a true believer who's kind of on the right path, or he's a true believer that who's on the wrong path, wrong meaning he misunderstands it. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that's my analysis. Mm-hmm. He's not a liar. He's not a ne'er do well. He's not a ego focused. I want to be king guy. He's a, he's a warrior. You know, the guy's a warrior. And Mm he, if you remember, there was that part where he said, I wake up every morning, ask God, ask God, what good can I do in this world today? Pretty beautiful. Pretty beautiful. Now I got a lot of criticism from people who, you know, you're giving a guy a platform who, right? Who says this, who says that, and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that. And, I respect that people think that, and I, I respect that you know we live in a dangerous world with this uh, virus, among other things. Um, but here's what I can tell you for sure, and I think it relates to where you were just going. I don't know if he's right or wrong. And I've been around long enough to know that the scientists get it wrong. Mm-hmm. That's what science is. So when somebody says to me, scientific consensus, it's like, it may be the consensus. It may be the consensus that, you know, I, I, I know as a younger person that the population bomb was going to destroy the world by the year 2000. Yeah. I also know that an ice age was coming and that the ozone hole was going to destroy the earth. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't always get it right. I mean, we, we made an industry of opioids. Somehow, our scientists called medical doctors said, Yeah, this is cool. Have at it. Right. Um, I have had doctors say it's safe. Go ahead, take it. Like, I've been there. I, I took Welbutrin, Propanolol, Valium, and Zoloft as prescribed. Mm-hmm. And it made me a fucking crazy person. Yeah. So, that being my life experience, I have doubts, I have wonders, I have curiosities, and I like to consider them. And I think it's healthy. I think it's healthy. And I think these things are related. Because that person that you, you and I, when we, we were there, and I'm going to guess I was actually about a year and a half in, because I, I was slow to get to my fourth step. Yeah. I'm making that up, approximately, whatever. In there
0: somewhere. Well, somewhere, I, somewhere. I, I, you had come in while I was still in prison. Hmm. So I know yes, that, yes. so I know that was 13 and a half years ago when I got back got home from prison then yep. we met and then about a year later or so yep. we started working together
1: Yep. So I was a really lost human being in those days like really lost crazy crazy I would say crazy a crazy person Some of it I would say it relates to um those prescriptions, some of it. Mm-hmm. Some of it was my self prescription, mm-hmm. you know, the way I treated alcohol and drugs. Um, and some of it, I think, relates to the imbalance that ego and, uh, you know, distancing, to, allowing yourself to be distanced from who you really are, mm-hmm. who, you know, who are you at your mm-hmm. core. And one of the things I'm so comfortable knowing today is that, you know, I'm an Irish Catholic kid from an Irish Catholic neighborhood with mm-hmm. loving parents who um, believed in certain things. And I think I'll be that until the day I die, you know, and I, that's, that's cool. I'm very comfortable with that.
0: But l- Look at the distortions that, uh, Bobby Kennedy had to enter whatever his, uh, um, whatever his mission is, look at the distortions of life that he came from. I mean, massive distortions, almost probably no reality to, for most of his life as to what the human condition is. And then even, even though it was a, uh, he came from a family that was built on service and a lot of other things. And they, they never had to work for a day to pay the mortgage. Right. So, and look at, Look at the distortions that you came into the program with, because this is post-Nantucket Nectars. You were an extremely successful person by almost anybody's standards, right? Anybody's. And then there you are, h- having hit a bottom, crushed, Be- coming, into, coming into recovery. It's because something went wrong, not because everything was going right. So- Yes. Yeah. So what is it that, um, because uh, let me just give a little perspective here. Your project now, your big project with uh, uh, um, Nantuck Project now, the Neighborhood Project, is so much about neighborhoods, so much about trying to collect people together into conversations. My project is about taking people who were in the criminal justice system out of isolation and bringing them into community. They're so close. And you and I have talked about this stuff for so many years, but aren't we, isn't it an iteration of the things that we learn in recovery and the, and the history that we know that the founders of AA found in say first century Christianity. And isn't that kind of connection why we both decided to go to divinity school to explore all that? Isn't it amazing how, how we're, we're, we're both doing that, but we never talked about that. It just it became a, it just was, it was organic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think everything you just said is, is exactly accurate. It's, um, speaking for myself and I, I, I think I speak for you. Recovery is, let's just say I had, I had, 18 years of good fortune based on my family. Mm -hmm. I I got, I got very lucky in the sense that I was then and am now in a very loving family. Like that was a blessing. Yeah. Um, but outside of my family of origin, the best thing that ever happened to me was recovery. And, and, you know, if, if, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, Oh, it gave you relief from a problem. Yeah, that's true. Recovery was a path to life's purpose and beauty that I never had. I never had that. I never I never knew what that was. I mean, I, I was raised Catholic um pretty strictly, went to Catholic school. I was an altar boy, went to church every Sunday. But, you know, if I'm honest, like God came and went, and crime and punishment was really what it was about. And pleasing my parents was really what drove that. But then later in life, largely because God comes in through the cracks and because I reach such a state of unease that, you know, you throw your hands in the air and you ask for help. And then once, in this case, help came in the form of this beautiful community. Like there's no other answer to it. I I didn't have a good prescription to, to get me off my life. I didn't have um, the wealthy person's path to this, that, or the other thing. It may exist. I actually don't think it exists, but but that certainly wasn't what it was. It was I dove into a community based on um, really powerful principles with spirituality at the root. Changed everything for me. So and if, so for me, and this is the part I'm saying I'm speaking for you and me. I like I could never go back. I could, I could, but it, but I'd probably suffer as a result of it, and the and the people around me would suffer as a result of it. I'm I'm
0: feeling <clears throat> I'm feeling so many parallels in this conversation, because you took um you took some criticism for having Bobby Kennedy on um on your I guess your morning your morning meeting your podcast, but a few years ago you took criticism for having George Bush as your keynote or the last speaker at the Nantucket project. And I, I was there and because he's a polarizing guy, um, probably less polarizing today than he was, than he was a few years ago. Um, but, um, to me, the most powerful part of that was, um, not that long before that, um, you decided to, uh, Come out and um, announce your recovery in, in a tent of uh, six or seven hundred people, and um, I, I remember talking about it with you just before, and um, and and you saying, you asking. It was a. It, it was really. It, it wound up being, a, a, for I think, an existential question because it was really about you as a person you as a as a uh, there are a lot of different levels it's a business person how is this going to affect um, uh, the projection of my of my of my uh my my image um how, what will people think of me um is it um I, have i have i been less than truthful about my path and will this explain so many things go into that and then i didn't know what you're going to do i had no idea I mean, it was a conversation. And then you kind of just got up on stage and said, listen, I, I just want to, I want to tell you all where I'm coming from. You know, I've been standing up here for years now. I want to tell you the truth. I mean, how powerful a moment was that in your life that you did that? And because this is not a recovery room. This is a room of, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe you have to peep in that room in recovery. I don't know, but, but what kind of moment was that? And then how does that shift into introducing a president of the United States?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a pretty, uh, profound thing. I'm just thinking, cause I'm trying to find the right feeling and, and, translation of it um you know I, I i think about my father and one thing i can say for sure and you you may want to question my science here but you just got to take my word for it nobody worked harder on my football team than me I worked really hard. Like I, w- I was like Rudy. Not quite as far, but that, I was that kind of guy. I was that kind of guy. And I believed that, um, I think it came in part from my father being a Marine. And, and um, you know, when you contemplate the sacrifice of something like the Normandy invasion, it's always, it was always there in my upbringing. Yeah. Like that's all, that was always there. Mm -hmm. And the principle in my family was not one of, you need to be Jack Welsh in those days or Mm -hmm. even before, but you need to be one of the soldiers who sacrifices. Like that's, that's who you must be. You know, my mom wanted me to be John F. Kennedy. She wanted me to be great, which is fine, I guess. But my dad wanted me to be good. And um, and I think I can feel that in my soul. In other words, like there's been experiences in my life. I've had some near-death ex- experiences as a pilot. I had some, you know, I did a three and a half month Knowles course years ago. I've been through a variety of things. And when you feel like you're on that edge of just pushing, you feel alive, you know? Yeah. It's just like you feel so alive in those moments. Um. I started to feel that way in my work, Mm -hmm. you know, and that it's like the Bobby Kennedy thing. Mm -hmm. I don't do it. I didn't do that to like, say, Hey, look at, look at me or look at us. I did do it because I feel like sometimes doing the right thing is painful. And when you feel that pain, you might be in the right spot. So you know, we are an organization, which in theory, and I just say in theory, I know the theory is we're going to lay out a truth and, and trust that people can make the right decisions for themselves. Yeah. Um, George Bush being someone who's in recovery, I guarantee you, if you ask George Bush, like name the five things that are most critical to who you are at your core. He's going to say that. Yeah. In the right setting, in the right setting. He's a politician. He has things to consider. And, and I, th- I really respect him. Mm-hmm. But it kind of felt like that was one of those moments. Like I could phone it in. But if, you're re- if I'm really doing my job, I kind of owe it to do that thing. I mean, let me add one element to that, which you were very helpful in. And that is ego. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're familiar with our world, Drunkalog is an example of like, you, you can be a tough guy and you can serve your ego when you do that. I, that scared me. You know, I feel like, oh, don't make it about you. But if you really want to know why I found George Bush so attractive as, as someone who could come and share, the number one thing on the list by a mile is that at age 40, he was an addict. At age 50, he was president of the United States. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And that's who he is. Mm-hmm. Like That's who he is. So, it just felt like the right thing to do. And, and so, I, I have that feeling. That's my long-winded answer. Is, and I, I imagine it this because I've never done it. I've, I've spent a fair amount of time surfing. And when I say I've surfed on a bigger wave, you're talking about one wimpy-ass wave, right? Mm-hmm. Those, those men and women who ride those big waves, they're about to die. For sure. For sure, they're on the edge of death. And for yeah. sure, they feel a sense of oneness with their work. When they are in that moment, and that's how I felt in that moment. It, I feel like I had to do it.
0: the The thing about knowing you so well, and about having been present in in at least in the last um, thirteen or fourteen years of your of, of our lives together, is that I can actually follow your the train of what you're thinking and your references. So for you to go from Bobby Kennedy to George Bush to your dad, because this, because it certainly was a, a profound moment when you um, talked about your recovery at the Nantucket project, but it paled in comparison to the moment when your father first walked into that church and just to set the, just to set the, uh, um,
1: the scene. It's amazing that you're, you, you really were witness to lots of things in my life. But <laughs> Dude, I'm telling
0: you, right? It's crazy. Right. So, but you're actually making the, the connections. I'm just able to call them out. Right. So, so just to set the scene it had been maybe eight years you've been doing the Nantucket project and your mom shows up every year and your family shows up every year. And every year I I see your mom, uh, she talks to me about family friends who are in prison and, you know, there's this connection we've had, you know, we've had Thanksgiving together and, but your dad's never shown up to Nantucket project. So now we're in the church it's got to be, what, two years ago, maybe uh, TMP8, I'm guessing. I think that's right. Right? And we're in the church. Was George Bush here? Oh, was it George he Bush saw, here? He yeah, saw yeah. that too. Oh, yeah, he yeah. saw that too. Right? And so Nadia's up front with you and Neil's up front with you. And, um, and you're, you're doing your thing up front. Um, and then you, then you catch sight of your dad walking into the back of the church. All right, So describe that moment.
1: Yeah. Well, so here's the thing about that. Um, it's not easy to, to give me a surprise party. You know, it's just not, it, it, I smell it coming, you know? And uh, I remember as a kid, I, 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 I would hear people walking around the house and I, I was like, Oh, that's Billy. That's Tracy that's Jenny, that's mom, that's dad. There's like these subtle differences between walks. And I was like, oh, that's what intuition is. That's what detection is. And so generally when people around me are acting a little bit differently, I, I, whatever. So I'm standing in the church speaking. I was speaking at the time. And if you've never been to my gathering, I don't speak that much. I mean- Over four days, I probably speak for seven minutes or twelve minutes. I don't know, but it's not Tom giving speeches all day. That's not what it is. That's not what we do. But in this case, I was actually holding the mic, standing in front of the church, and there's six hundred and fifty people there. Okay. And 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 when you do speak, generally you're reflecting. You know,
0: It's 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 extemporaneous. You're you're just kind of you're, you're knitting
1: things together. Yes. I'm not a speech guy. I don't write out my speeches, yeah. but, um, but I'm literally speaking and I, and I, and I'm looking down the center aisle and my father walks into the church late. I mean, I think it was obviously it was late cause I was already talking. Oh yeah. Um, I remember it so vividly. I do not remember my, what I said or did. I, I remember saying that's my dad. Into the mic. I remember saying that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But it really hit me, you know. Here's the thing about my father is that he really appreciates and celebrates who I am, mm-hmm. particularly, you know, as he got older. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, we have very little in common. Like, what is this, this Nantucket project thing? Like, what is it? Like, what the hell is this? Like, he, you know, he has no idea. It's, it's, not the, um, it's not the armed forces. No, it's not. No, it's not a, it's not a very logical thing <clears throat> or packageable thing. Yeah. But I had this sense of like, because people have asked me, did it hurt you that he didn't come before? And it doesn't hurt me at all. Mm. Like, I totally understand it. First of all, he's a teacher and it's September and he gets work. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't just skip work. Like he goes to work. That's one. Two, you know, it, it's expensive to go to Nantucket. So he's got to find his way there. Mm -hmm. Um, And three, he can barely hear like, he's not going to really know what's going on. So I know I was never, but I was profoundly moved when I saw him. Mm -hmm. Um, And and honestly, I felt like that's enough. He doesn't ever have to come again. Like it's, it's okay. You know, he, he, he did come the year, the year after. Um, what, one of the reasons that, um, I
0: meant that I talked about it, not just because I. I, It's kind of a role that we've played for one another in 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 noticing these things, and calling each other out on it. But it was the it was a synergistic moment between something incredibly personally intimate, and it was on a community level. There were five hundred people there witnessing it. And, and, and of all the times, cause I've been to, I've been to the Nantucket Project five times. I've never witnessed a room where everybody cried all at the same time. It was, it took the breath out of everybody. And in a, in a, a sea of, of moments of personal, uh, testimony, that has gone on at the Nantucket Project and every one of your events. I mean, that's what it's about. That's the single moment that if you ask anybody who was there in all these years, that would be the moment that anybody would say hit them the most. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I've talked about it with people because, wow. I, because, because everybody relates. It's, yeah. it's a guy and his dad.
1: Right yeah
0: you know this isn't like something abstract this is right there man yeah
1: Yeah. you know what comes to mind when you say that and i appreciate you saying that i mean one of the things about tnp is that it's generally it's a pretty it's a pretty together community you know there are new people who come and go but there's Mm a core um and i hope we're welcoming to people who are there for the first time that's never easy I, i i would always like to be better at that but um we were in memphis this happened in in a a, a variety of times on this trip we did this summer down the mississippi we went down the mississippi river and we had these meetings nightly about race always a mixed race group of people Mm -hmm. and there was a guy in in memphis his name's juman and he's in the crips and Mm -hmm. uh he's a beautiful guy and very simply put i won't bore you with this but He's in the crypts because he can't leave the crypts. He can't. He lives in that neighborhood. If he leaves the crypts, he'll have problems with his family. And he's not leaving the crypts. And so anyone who's judging that, his reality and your reality are not the same thing. And I think if you heard him speak, you'd understand it. Okay. He is engaged to a woman named Gabby. And Gabby came that night. Gabby never said a word. She was very silent. And then I think somebody to their credit said, handed her the mic Mm -hmm. and she spoke and she, and she said, the first thing she said was something was, was something to the effect of, I can't speak like you guys can speak, but I do have something to say. Now, when somebody says that you're in a good position, right? Amen. Here we go. Now we we got something. (laughs) And so she spoke. And one of the things she said was that because I have dark skin, in the black community, it's always been a thing. There's a thing about dark skinned in women in particular.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, She talked about the challenges of racism, but she also talked about black on black crime. Mm -hmm. She spoke from the heart in such a profound way that I'll never forget that moment for the rest of my life. And I think part of the reason it worked is because she didn't sit around thinking about her speech. You know, and so we witnessed truth. And I think that, you know, one of the things about this modern world, it's such an irony, isn't it? That in this age of information, we're more sheep-like. Like Like we have such an opportunity to be like truly individuals. Instead, I think we all sort of march to a drummer that is more powerful than ever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you get these moments Because, like school, I mean, what a gift it is to go to school. Part of going to school as an adult was this gift of learning. Part of going to school as an adult is you realize how much bullshit there is. Like, you give someone a good term, they will run with that term till the cows come home, you know? And then, if you really ask them to describe the essence of that term, they don't actually even know, you know? And it's such a way of hiding. You can hide behind fancy terms. I remember that in the beverage business, people would say there's like 12 important terms, like point of sale and, you know, and when people use that terminology, um, it's an excuse for not thinking. But when someone's actually sharing that emotion, and the words are just things you attach to that emotion, they in and of themselves are meaningless, yeah. you know? So I think those moments are just so special. And by the way, that's everything I hope for at TNP. Hmm. Everything I hope for is right there is that there's a soul imprint the rest of it sounding smart and fancy and talented Mm -hmm. is bullshit
0: as long as you mentioned um going to school as an adult because uh we both have gone to divinity school i I told this story uh i I was i was uh, speaking for you at uh on mason street a few years ago and i told the story and uh it just had me thinking about it just now um I was graduating from Union Theological Seminary. And it was at the actual- At that time? At the time. Oh, oh not, yeah, yeah. I'm, right. I'm not, this is 2012. And I'm at the actual, I'm at the actual graduation. And uh, you and I had talked about whether or not you were going to go to uh, Yale Divinity School and what the process was. And, um, and uh, I was graduating. So I'm in my red robe and I'm sitting with a hundred of my classmates and I have my, I have my phone up and I'm taking photos, you know, of the, the event and, and, uh, Lynn and Skyler were there. And, and, uh, some people from uh, our morning meeting were there too, by the way, George and Mary Beth were there. And, um, I'm taking pictures and my phone is up. And so it's at my actual graduation and you text me that, um, that you'd um, got accepted into uh, Yale Divinity School, so and and the text comes up on my phone while I'm holding it up in the air, taking pictures. What kind of providence is there? I mean, what? How is that even possible? That that that's the moment that you send me that text that you get into Divinity School. It's it's it feels impossible, other than the fact that we, all of this sprung from the same place of, of healing, you know? And, and I just think that this is all an extension of that, what you're doing, what I'm doing, getting it wrong, getting it right.
1: Yeah, I get it. Yeah. That's wild. I mean, it's just wild to imagine. I mean, honestly, you being in divinity school feels like ancient history. It you is applying you applying to business to divinity school is like ancient or ancient or history, you know, and yeah. or even getting the idea. I mean, it's just amazing, sort of the way things march on, and 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 then, you know, I think about the um, the 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 thing that influences these things is actually pretty narrow. Yeah, you know, like, you just think of like what are the practices of our recovery. They drive everything. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're doing it well, they're, they're pretty much driving everything. It's, it's pretty brilliant, right? I mean, listen, if you're listening to this and you're not into this, it might sound cultish. And I get it. I get it. But if you're actually in it and you observe it and you're part of it on a regular basis, it's eternal. There's just something eternal about it. And that's why it can seem like, like the details of like, I remember you give, talking to me about the story of Babel. You know, and it's fairly detailed, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and, and you obviously had read it and considered it and knew more, certainly more about it than I did. And it, like, you just can ask yourself the question, what are the details that make up, I'm sorry, what are the details that flow forth from this relatively narrow way of life? when I say narrow, what I mean is it, it, I mean, there's, there's only 12 steps. There's not 470, you know, and the, the, it's, it's essentially a spiritual solution. You know, it's not like there's 58 parts to the solution. It's pretty limited. I have a friend who's in jail right now. Um, and I remember calling him, you know, one of the things that you've taught me is that when people get in trouble, be the guy who picks up the phone. Don't be the guy who says, I told you so don't be the, he had a coming, a a guy Mm -hmm. or stay away from him because I don't want his, his, I don't want to get tarnished by him or her, you know? And so I wrote him and, um, and he, you know, he was very happy and we got on the phone. And then when we got on the phone, he went into very hardcore denial. Now I didn't believe him. Um, and I remember thinking at the time, by the way, I still don't believe him, but, um, he may, he may not answer that way anymore. Um, I remember at the time thinking what a gift to him, it would be if he admitted it to me, like if he'd done the opposite, if he'd said, yeah, I I was stupid, man, I shouldn't have done this. Yeah. And so that pride which we all have this simple thing that we're talking about that, that had you study Babel Mm -hmm. that had me say what I said about George Bush on a stage Mm -hmm. is changes everything. It's a gift on just so many levels. Um, And the irony is like, it, it really is a daily practice. It's a daily practice. That's why I walk in the morning. I walk in the morning mm-hmm. as part of my practice.
0: Um, Tom, I know I know you have a, a hard stop coming up, so I don't. Um, and um, I think it's beautiful that um, am uh, ho- hopefully, ho- hopefully, one of the things that'll happen from from this podcast is that it'll give people, uh, you know, permission <clears throat> and agency to talk about their stuff and to trust people in ways that um, <clears throat> maybe they haven't considered. Um, certainly, recovery is not for everybody, right? It's for people who uh, who want it. But um, you and I both found uh, paths to freedom and to whole new senses of purpose that there's no way that either of us had any idea where it was going.
1: No idea. No, and it's funny that like, I use it the language as well, but we, we say recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, um, the new Testament. People will describe it as the good news. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to describe it. <clears throat> that's a great and, way. And that, it's a great way to describe it. And that's what recovery is. Mm-hmm. It's the good news, you know, and it's, okay but it's limiting like even the even i won't say the title but the title of our book i i'm like eh very limiting Mm -hmm. a limiting title now maybe it's a humble title yeah you know okay i can accept that but if people want to really understand what recovery is it's good news it's the good news of spiritual reality you know well well, like um
0: St. Francis said, right, uh, uh, preach the gospel always, use words only when necessary.
1: Mm, I like that. Right.
0: So this is, um, <clears throat> this is doing the next right thing. And um, I believe that God led us to this moment to be able to talk about this in a way that hopefully is tangible enough so that um, anyone who needs the help will be interested in seeking it. And um, and uh, they can call either one of us. I know that for sure. I, I know that uh, my door is always open, and so is
1: yours. So, tell me, um, tell me, tell me if you would um, your mission
0: here. <clears throat> the mission of the podcast. The mission of the ministry. Podcast. Um, the the, the podcast is about about introducing all the stakeholders in the justice system to one another in a way so that they can open up new understandings and empathy because everybody goes to their own corner and everybody resents everyone else or is fearful of everyone else. And so the people who are being prosecuted for crimes or white collar crimes, um, in particular, but not necessarily, Um, they don't really know who the prosecutors are. They don't really know who the criminal defense attorneys are. They don't know who the probation officers are. People all in this haven't really told their stories to one another. And, and there's no wonder that the, that it's, uh, that the whole dynamic is sick or is is not really moving in a way that's about healing and health because people are not communicating and they're not, and it's so close to what you do that
1: it's not surprising that we had the same influences. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I'm just going to keep saying this knowing that I'm, there's a fair amount of Don Quixote going on here. Yeah. I know it. I know when I say these things, people are like, oh my God, here you go. Um, The answer is love. I don't know what the question is. I can tell you what the answer is. And the answer is love. And, you know, if you just, simple one, like people will say to me, like, I don't know what I am spiritually speaking. I, I, I think the story of Jesus is a beautiful story. It's a really good way to, center yourself and um and belief and all these things like it's way more complex than you know when people ask me are you a christian and i have to say you're gonna have to be more specific like which question are you actually asking so anyway but the point is i i'm a spiritual person who believes that the christian story is a powerful story but there are other powerful stories um man makes churches like if you take the time one time and just really read the sermon on the mount and read what the guy Mm -hmm. around whom these churches are built and these religions are built and see what he said and he said don't put on the fancy clothes and build these buildings and do this stuff like that's what he said well Mm -hmm. humans did it this is what humans do Mm -hmm. this is who we are Mm -hmm. this is the imperfection of what humans are And there's this desire for efficiency and measurability that creates certain things like parts of the justice system. Justice is a beautiful concept. We have all erred and corrected all of us, all of us and to love the person in the process and to love the person after the process is profoundly real and profoundly possible. And if, you know, so when I, if anyone who's going through these kinds of things, like look for love, use your love, find love in the people that are around you. And it's where the answers will come. Doesn't mean you're not going to get smacked in the face along the path, but it's always there. As much as the, human- the imperfection of humanity is always there, so is love. It's always there. Were you there either Larry Lessig did oh, yeah. his talk? Oh yeah! remember now. at the end, mm-hmm. when he talked about love?
0: Is, is that when the, um, the people were drawing on the uh, board and back? Yeah.
1: yeah. 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 And he said, he basically described a really messed-up system. And he, at the end, he said, "And I know it sounds impossible to fix it." So why try?" And he said, "Well, what if it was your, what if the, that system was your child? Wouldn't your love drive you to attempt to solve this problem?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, there's your answer." like what a great way to end a political speech well it's
0: what we're doing here the the, the all, all these connections are blowing my mind because it's exactly what we're doing right now because you can go f- we can talk about the process all we want and we've talked about the 12 step process we've opened up like the connections in in even in your life, that and and in our relationship, but the 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 ultimate message is what we want to end this podcast on, because that's the big takeaway. I know that's the takeaway for both of us, but I'm, and I know that on some level, it's if it, it feels uh, um, embarrassing, maybe yeah. can we right is. is right. Can can we can we really just leave a a, 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 a podcast and be able to say um, it's about love? I love you,
1: Tom. I mean, right? Can yeah? No, I I, I absolutely would return it and say right? I love you too. I, I right. know,
0: Yeah. And and so isn't that the message? And if and if we can do it and we can do it collectively we can do it with each other then everybody not only can do it but they are doing it right they they are so why are we afraid to talk about it why are like we why are we afraid to talk about god why are you afraid to talk about love why are you afraid to embrace it
1: yeah you know it's i i was having a conversation with someone this morning and i said to him love, love th- th- for all of its imperfections and there are many in this country. Mm-hmm. This country was built on love. It was mm-hmm. built on love of God, freedom, family, right? So these people come over here and good and bad. I don't want to get into the politics of all that stuff, but, mm-hmm. but just by and large. And for the longest time in our lifetime, we had the Soviets. We had the, the, this great empire that the collective love of the goodness of America united us. We were united on the left, it was like, I want to have the freedom to paint any painting I want. And on the right, it's, I want to have the freedom to build any business I want. And then many things in between. We all were unified in that love of our, of our family and our culture. And, and, and then it went away. And so for 30 years, we've been kind of floating in the wilderness. And if I had one hope is that as a culture... If, if our culture, if the American culture put love at the top, above capitalism, above consumerism, above democracy, we would solve so many more problems. Love at the top. It sounds so corny, but that's what motivates everything. We're not like, if the world is motivated primarily by capitalism, we're going to have problems. It's going to be problematic. It is problematic. I'm a capitalist. Put love above it you're fine. So, so, um, because I know we have to get off. I just want
0: to say that here's the, here's the jump that you made from sermon on the Mount to this. And the reason, at least for me, the reason that the sermon on the Mount is there is not to describe what the highest, the, the, the highest form of 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 life of highest form of belief of of uh, uh, um, is is to explain why in our humanness we feel so alone because we can't get there. Yeah. And so that together we can actually be a community of people who are imperfect who can't get to that lofty goal and so w- why in my suffering why in my despair why in my in my pain or my or just my my everyday life whatever that happens to be um there are many other people going through the same exact thing in fact everybody is and so we have this to describe the fact that this
1: is our humanity yeah you know, I, I've been a, and I'm going to go, but I, I've been sort of, I love the social dilemma. If you haven't seen the film, like yeah, there's brilliant. a lot that's screwed up in the digital world, right? Yeah, brilliant. This part of the digital world mm-hmm. is beautiful. Yeah. Like this has been a beautiful experience and, and I feel fortunate, frankly, that we didn't have to get in cars and go somewhere. Like it's, it's easier and it's pretty freaking good. Like mm-hmm. this is pretty good. This is mm-hmm. pretty intimate. It feels real. This is a really good application of technology and I've loved this for me. The best thing of this for me, selfish me, is that I have benefited from it. Yeah. You know? Me too. All right,
0: my friend. Blessings to you. Uh, Send send my love to Emily and the family and um, I'll see you tomorrow. Okay. To you as well. Right. Bye, guys. Thank you for joining us on White Collar Week, sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries. You can learn more about us on our website, prisonist.org. That's prisonist, like feminist. And please remember to rate, review, and share this podcast so that families suffering in silence can find us if they need us. See you next time.